I'm Charlotte. And I'm Lauren. Our pronouns are she, her. This is Demyth Turns the Page. Our special episodes where we demyth July's orange paper box. Ancient Greek characters meet the modern world. This is everything about Persephone and her dark wings. Hi everyone, we are so excited to bring you this episode in collaboration with Orange Paper Box. We love the idea that it champions UK young adult authors and you get a surprise book in your mailbox with loads of little bookish goodies. So I was going to say drum roll, but I have already told people in the intro for the episode what the book is for July. July's book is Her Dark Wings, which is a Persephone retelling. And wait, didn't you hang out with Melinda without me for this? Oh, look, there's a bird. (laughs) It's probably Zeus. (laughs) It probably is. Before me and Melinda get into everything that is Her Dark Wings, we wanted to tell you the story of Persephone the way the ancient Greeks knew it. We've already covered this in one of our previous episodes. So if you enjoy it, we go into a little bit more detail about Demeter as well. You know, shout out us. And yeah, go check it out. But we're going to retell the story here for you today. As close as we can, because what? Sources do not always agree. Shocker. Persephone is the daughter of Demeter. She starts off as a spring goddess. Her original name is Kore, which means maiden. One place that you can find this story is in Metamorphoses by our problematic faith, Ovid. He has definitely written some stuff that is sex pesty. In most versions of the story, both here and now, potentially, and retellings, you get the impression that Demeter is highly protective of Kore. I've read three retellings of the story, so I definitely get that vibe. One is Her Dark Wings. One is Laura Olympus, which is amazing. And one is smart. (laughs) So it seems to be something that all of the retellings definitely agree on. Let's be honest, you can't blame Demeter. In Ovid's version of the story, Kore is innocently picking flowers with her friends. Emphasis on the word innocently. When Hades spots her, she was obviously stunningly beautiful because any woman of importance in these kind of stories were. And he decides to... Oh, approach her tell her he likes her dress, offer to let her pet his dog. And no, that's not a euphemism. I mean, his actual dog. (laughs) No, he kidnapped her. Which, by our standards, is grim, but seemingly a regular behavioural pattern in ancient Greece. Oh, Hades was for sure channeling some Ariana Grande there. I see it. I like it. I want it. (laughs) I got it. Sometimes I worry about you. (laughs) Depending... I worry about myself. (laughs) Depending on your source of preference, you might find that Hades had Zeus's blessing and you might find that Zeus turned a blind eye, which is really creepy because in some retellings, he's also her father. Demeter unsurprisingly went looking for Corey, but couldn't find her. She did, however, find out what happened eventually. Zeus refused to intervene, so she caused plants to stop growing. I think in our original story, when we retold this, we talked about how she even stopped herbs from growing. Yes, that is petty, and I'm here for it. I'm so here for that level of petty. 
But now we have a lot of unhappy, hungry people who have stopped worshipping Zeus. So he definitely needed to get involved. He told Hades to return Kore, but Hades was reluctant to do so. What do you think is more offensive? The fact that she stopped plants from growing or the fact that nobody had herbs to season their food with? They've got no food to eat to be seasoned, so... Well, they've got animals. Oh, yeah. They could kill animals off first. Obviously, eventually the animals will die because they're not eating any of the plants, but until that happens you know what as a person who has a moral standpoint to not eat animals i kind of forget sometimes that people do so that that didn't even occur to me in this story look if you're in a situation where you've got nothing else to eat she's she's literally stopped everything else from growing i might eat some bugs (laughs) maybe so hades offered corey our lovely Kore, some pomegranate seeds to eat. And conveniently, he neglected to mention that eating them would have consequences. The number she ate varies according to sources, but the consequences remain the same. Should she eat anything in the underworld, she would have to remain or spend some time in the underworld with Hades. I do think it's quite beautiful that this was the ancient Greek way to explain the seasons. As spring starts starts to happen, it's Demeter preparing for and being excited about her daughter's return. And as we go from autumn into winter, this is when she's sad about Corey spending time in the underworld. One of my favourite other sources, Soz Ovid for cheating on you with other sources, but one of my favourite <laughs> other sources where you can find this story is the Homeric Hymn to Demeter, where Corey is described as trim ankled. <laughs> there also seems to be more of a recent idea that Persephone went with him willingly. I think it's more of a recent idea. I've looked for sources. I've spent hours looking for sources where the story is different and I'm yet to find something. So please, if someone can point me in the right direction for the future, I would love to know ancient sources where the story is different. But it definitely seems to be something that some of the retellings have embraced. Certainly the smutty one that I read embraced that kind of idea. Lauren's acting all snooty about the smutty one, but I know 100% she loved it. No, it was terrible. It was so bad. <laughs> On a level of one to 50 shades of grey, how terrible was it? I finished it, so it's not quite as bad as 50 shades of grey. I finished all three 50 shades of grey books and genuinely the only one that's even mildly interesting is the last one. I couldn't even finish the first one. <laughs> The second she started to go off on tangents, which we love, the second that she started talking about her inner goddess, I was just like, nope, I cannot, you know, bring on the spanking, right? Give me the shit that I'm here for. I don't care about you and your inner goddess because you both are are shit. I just didn't even find it. I didn't find it that hot. And yeah, her inner goddess was doing a merengue all the time. It's like, does it not know any other dances? Like what, what is this? (laughs) And on that note, should we listen to you talk to Melinda about her dark wings? Why, yes, I think we should. Hi, Melinda. Welcome to Demyth Turns the Page. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us for this super, super special episode. This is our first collaboration with Orange Paper Box. So quick shout out here to Charlie, who's responsible for sort of curating the box. But how do you feel about the fact your book is going to be sliding into people's mailboxes as a total surprise? Um, Deeply unhappy. Um, I 
hate being published. I like it in theory. Um, but the actuality is it's the point in time where I have to give up this thing that I've worked on for a couple of years and I can no longer take any kind of ownership over it because the story goes on to belong to everyone who gets to read it. So there is an, an element of kind of like, for me, it's it's like, it's a happy moment. I love being a published author, but there is, um, it's, it's weird to know it's not my story anymore, that it will be taken in by the people and they will see it and read it. Um, and it will become something to them that maybe I never imagined it could, which is, you know, it should be exciting, but I am selfish and petty and spiteful like a god. So for me, it's frightening to have this thing happen. Well, this is the perfect story for you to have written then. <laughs> right. And it gives you an opportunity to to have those new stories that you can keep all to yourself for a while. It does. And I do. And I have them. And so that it does temper it a little bit to know that I already have more secrets um, hidden away from the world. I'm hoping you might share one secret before we, we say goodbye to you today. I'll consider it. Thank you. Please tell everyone at home a little bit about yourself. So I am a full-time author. I've been a full-time author since 2016. Um, I've written Her Dark Wings as my seventh YA book and my eighth book in total. I wrote I wrote some non-fiction as well. I wrote um, Nature Almanacs um, for people who are so inclined. Um, I live by the sea, which is nice. Um, and yeah, as previously mentioned, I'm selfish and petty and spiteful. Um, they're probably my my nicest attributes. I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> so what kind of books do you like to read? Books that are more like Her Dark Wings than anything I've written before. I like what I call intrusive fantasy. So things where the fantastical world kind of infringes on the real world. So for obvious reasons, I'm a big fan of Holly Black and um, Bridget Kemmerer who both write these kind of kind of fantastical worlds that either begin in ours and then move on or kind of work between the two. Um, Sarah Maria Griffin, actually a lot of authors based in Ireland, um, Moira Fowley-Doyle, Mary Watson, uh, Deirdre Sullivan, they all kind of do a very similar thing. And I love that. It's my favorite thing to read. Like I like, I don't tend to like, despite having written it in the past, your kind of straight up high fantasy. I like... I like when it kind of, I like when there's a liminal place um, between our world and another world. And that's kind of what's explored. I grew up reading Holly Black as a teenager. So I definitely get why you love her. We had Mary Watson on here, actually, talking about Blood to Poison. She is incredible. She's one of my favourite writers. I have loved her since her very first book. um, And I suspect I'll continue loving her more every book she writes she's fantastic just such a gifted talented exciting writer and such a sweet person as well she is super cool and nice we we absolutely loved her before we get into all of my many questions i'm just going to read a quick synopsis of the book for people who maybe aren't familiar with it teenagers Corey alloway and brie Dov- dovemaria please correct me if that's wrong dovemaria <laughs> okay what's wrong our best friends they live on an island where people still pray to ancient greek gods and the underworld is rumored to be visible from the top of a certain hill they're closer than sisters until brie betrays Corey and steals her boyfriend ali 
Corey is consumed by hatred. She goes so far as to vehemently wish Brie dead. At the annual Thesmophoria Festival, Corey kisses a stranger, a boy with golden lips, to show Brie and Ali she's over them both. And later that night, Brie is found floating in the lake, dead. We're now on Wednesday. I got this book over the weekend. And honestly, I don't think I've ever read a book so fast in my life. I crammed this book like I was cramming Jane Austen for my A-levels. <laughs> wow, thank you. I think. Like, did you like Jane Austen? <laughs> I j- read Jane Austen because I had to. I have more of an appreciation for it now. This was read out of choice. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> and thank you very much. Before we get into the book itself, I want to talk to you about the cover. I'm always obsessed with talking about covers of books. The cover for this is so, so stunning. It's one of my favourite covers for probably a long time. It is incredibly beautiful. I have been very blessed by the God of Covers um, throughout my career. Every single one um, surpasses the previous one. Um, And this one is just, it's so shiny. (laughs) It's just so shiny. And I don't know if you had the proof or a final version, but the final version, they've they've, um, spared no expense with the gold foil. It's just splattered with the stuff. It's great. (laughs) I have the final version. So it's the one with all of the with the gold. It gives me very sort of Garden of Eden and Eve vibes as well with the snakes and the flowers and the green, as well as obviously we have the we have her with gold lips and a lot of the gold foiling. And obviously there's a pomegranate. It's absolutely beautiful. And we've got the water, which I'm assuming is to do with with Corey's journey in the book. And there, I think, uh, there's a mountain too. Well, a kind of hill, which could be Erebus. It could be the other hill. I like, I really like that um, Leo, the cover designer, Leo Nicol, has it always, like, he's taken such incredible elements from the actual story and woven them in to make almost another story of his own on the cover. It's, um, it's an incredible piece of art, but he's very talented. He does a lot of covers and he's very sought after as a kind of cover designer because he's brilliant. I like that he's left a little bit of ambiguity about the hill because I assumed it was the hill in the synopsis where you can see the underworld. See, I think of it as Erebus. So this is what I mean. People take your stories and they they make new stories out of them. Yeah, the cover is one of the most beautiful things I've seen. Thank you. I mean, on behalf of Leo, who just who did all the hard work. Like once again, I'm getting to coast on someone else's great artwork. <laughs> I think the artwork wouldn't have been quite so good if your story hadn't been so good. Thank you. So I have to ask, for a myth that is quite overdone in some ways, what made you choose to do a retelling of of Persephone? It it wasn't the plan at all. So for I wanted to do um, a Medusa retelling um, to begin with. I knew I wanted to write something um, in kind of the Greek mythology canon. But I wasn't necessarily settled on what it was going to be. And for a while, I thought it was going to be Medusa. I had this incredible idea um, for a concept, um, for a story, but I, I couldn't figure out a plot that went with it um, that would pay off in a way that was satisfying. And so I went back and forth for maybe six months trying to figure it out. And then Madeline Miller, who wrote Song of Achilles and Circe, um, came over to the Southbank Centre. And one of the things she offered while she was over was a masterclass with her. She was taking on just, I think it was 30 students for a day and you could pay to have this masterclass with her. So I did, I got in fast. And so she kind of taught us um, 
Well, she kind of went through her process of how she writes stories, and it's because obviously she's a classicist. Like this is, it's it's exactly who she is, and so she imparted all of this fantastic knowledge um, and practice. And I left the session knowing that Medusa wasn't going to be the story I was going to write, and that I I wanted it to be about Persephone and Hades, but I didn't I didn't even have an idea for that yet. But I was like, I think that's the thing I could write. That's the thing that calls to me which is one of the things she said about writing stories in this workshop is that you have to find the thing that calls to you. And so it kind of came from there. And then I'd already had my ideas. Are, they don't, they're not very cohesive. Um, I, I don't like the question, where do your ideas come from? Because I don't know. Um, and also the idea behind any story I write, there's never just one idea. It's always bits and bobs. They're Franken stories made up of like various bits of stuff. And so while I had this idea for, well, while I wanted to work on Hades and Persephone, I'd had this idea of a dead girl in a lake, this image of a dead girl in a lake and someone finding her and not necessarily being sad they were there, but also simultaneously being sad that she was there. Um, and it was complicated. And that's kind of where Corey was born in this, this observing girl who sees a dead friend and has to then reckon with what that means. And so then I got to explore why why she was not as sad as she should be that her friend was dead. Not necessarily responsible for killing her either, but not sad that she was dead. And it was very complicated and sticky. And so I kind of teased it out from there. And yeah, my ideas come together weirdly, like, like, like maybe a recipe more than an idea. There's a lot of ingredients that go into them. I love the fact that the book wasn't exactly what I expected when I first picked it up and that you did something very different with the myth and you kept it really fresh. I think that's actually one of my great qualities as a writer. <laughs> like I take the thing you think you're getting and I make it not the thing that you get, um, which hasn't necessarily always paid off so much in the past. Um, but it makes it interesting for me to write as well because I think I I don't like books that are too formulaic I don't like things that necessarily end well I like to be surprised I like to be shocked I like to have to think about stuff I don't like to be tricked um so I don't like cheap twists that are just done to kind of trick the reader like I, I need the payoff if there's going to be a twist but yeah I'm glad I'm glad you didn't know what you're getting it doesn't always pay off when I do this <laughs> so I'm glad it worked out this time so many people are doing retellings of Hades and Persephone now when it's just like a smutty are they because yeah. you, like I don't think I've ever read one um <laughs> which maybe maybe I should have there's, um, there's a lot of like smutty stuff out there about them and so I'm happy this is very different oh yeah it's not that smutty oh no, that's no. Not smutty at all I don't think no and it doesn't focus so much on the uh, on them as a couple it's more Corey's story with with the elements I think so too and I need to stop saying it's a Hades and Persephone retelling because it's a Persephone retelling it's nothing like Hades is pretty much a secondary character you packed so many references to ancient Greece in the book Are you, did you grow up liking myths or is that something you went back and did later was it important to you throughout your writing process with this book to do that I do I, I I do love Greek, and I've also just remembered the I have read um, a Persephone and Hades retelling, and it's Peter S. Beagle's Summer Long, and it's one of my favourite retellings in the whole world, and hardly anyone has read it, um, and that's not particularly smutty. 
um, but it is very complicated and messy. And um, I think if you like Her Dark Wings, you will like this too, because it, it just, for reasons I think you will. Gosh, I've now forgotten the question. <laughs> Please, could you remind yes. me? Yes. Oh, I haven't read that retelling, by the way. It's the insertion of all of the Greek references, because you pack so much in there. Um, I have always loved Greek mythology, like always a... They're so fascinating. The the Greek myths, I think, more than any other canon of mythology in the in you know the white Western world anyway, they are they are the most pervasive ones. Um, and I have my theories for that, of course. Um, but when I write, when I started writing, I didn't look up anything. I wrote the story I wanted to write, and then it was in the revision process that I started to kind of seed in the um. The, the the kind of factual mythology stuff and the stuff from ancient Greece because they didn't I think the temptation when you are writing something that is based in reality especially if you've done a lot of research up front is to get your money's worth um for the research that you've done and try and shove it all in and I didn't want to fall victim to that I didn't want to kind of I didn't want to over world build or add in a lot of like needless exposition if if a reference was going to be in the book, it needed to be absolutely relevant to the lives they were living in that moment and like for no other reason. So it was, it, there was definitely a lot of research involved about terminology and stuff, but it came afterwards, like the Thesmophoria wasn't called the Thesmophoria until after it was just called the festival in the first draft because I didn't have a name for it. I figured there must be one for Demeter and Persephone because all of the gods have a festival but at the time I was like I will just call it the festival for now and I will write it as I see it and then when I edit it I will seed in the realities of it then there's a question I have about one potential Greek reference but I it's a potential spoiler so I'm going to wait until we get into the spoiler section of the episode yeah well I might be wrong but I'm just I'm curious did you find this a slightly different writing process than some of your other books because Although you you have created your own characters, Corey's not Persephone. She is a Persephone-like character, but you still took aspects of real ancient Greek characters in the book. Well, see, she is Persephone, just not yet. So in the myth of Persephone, she is Corey the Maiden um, until she becomes the dread Persephone queen of the underworld. So the story you're getting is not... It's, it's, it's before... It's kind of almost the prequel to the story of of her life in the underworld. It's the story of Corey, um, which is why she's called Corey. So yeah, I think no, it, it is um, the story of her. It was interesting though to kind of make her my own. I wanted her to feel relevant now. I wanted her to have, which meant obviously she has a different kind of lifestyle, a different kind of agency. I didn't want to have this kind of girl locked up in a temple or a field. I wanted. I wanted her confinement away from the world, um, which in the myth is where Demeter kind of keeps her basically in, in a field where she's allowed to kind of do springy things, but very much away from the Olympians and the other gods. She's quite isolated. So I, I chose to kind of take that isolation and make it an island, a literal island, which is isolated from the world. And so a very small community of localised people who, because of geography, doesn't change or mix very often. It was not a different writing process, no. Because although she is Persephone from the myth, she is Persephone before she's Persephone. So she's Corey as the maiden, not the dread Persephone of the underworld. Um, so when I was creating her, because there isn't 
so much written about Corey when she was the maiden. We know Demeter kept her basically in a field. She was very isolated. She um, didn't associate with the other Olympian gods or any other gods, really. So I did have kind of a lot of free reign to make her my own. So it wasn't it wasn't a different process at all, especially, I think, because she lives in the modern world. So I wasn't trying to capture the authenticity um, that perhaps Natalie Haynes captures or... Um, Madeline Miller captures in their characters. I wasn't going for that kind of at the time vibe. I was going very much for this is a girl who lives. Yeah, I love how beautiful the opening bit is. Not chapter one, the bit just before um, the little paragraph, which starts, Tell me of a world where the gods still rule in Olympus. And it reminded me so much of epic Greek poetry, especially the start of the Iliad. That is exactly what I was going for. I was going for the feeling of the start of the Odyssey. And it was a kind of a real touch of arrogance to be like, this is how I want to open my book. And I want it to be structured like a poem. In fact, no, actually, to be fair, that idea was my editor's idea. Because he was like, we need to introduce people to the idea that this is not ancient Greece. That this is Greece as it happens now. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's the modern world. So I was like, I'll do it. But I'm going to do it like it's the opening of the Odyssey. And, and they let me. And I was very pleased and excited. Um, I'm glad you like it. I really like it too. And that's exactly what I wanted you to get from it. I wanted it to to remind people, anyone who's read the Iliad or the Odyssey, um, to kind of immediately have that feeling of transportation into that world. Um, so I'm glad it served its purpose. And I know Anthony, my editor, will be very happy too. One thing I love about books that kind of emulate other books or draw in that kind of style is these little hidden Easter eggs that you can appreciate if you know the story. You don't lose out on it by being new to this world. But if you know ancient Greek stuff, you'll get all of the references. And it's just that extra gift. That's going to be a really good time for anyone who does read this book, because there are a lot of Easter eggs in there, a lot of uh, Greek mythology Easter eggs where characters aren't necessarily named. Um, But if you know your stuff, you can put it together. And if you don't, then um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the story in any way at all. Over page six and seven, you compare funerary rituals to breakup rituals, which is something I really loved. Are these your typical breakup rituals? I mean, not anymore. As a teenager, definitely. Um, I, th- I think the haircut thing probably still applies. <laughs> there is that need, I think, when you split up with someone to kind of want to reinvent yourself. Mm. Um to kind of, I think, I think it's a reclamation thing. I think it's a reclaiming a part of you that might have not been, or that might have gone dormant while you were in the relationship. And so kind of calling that back or maybe, maybe a recreation too. So maybe reclamation, maybe recreation, but no, they're not my rituals anymore um, because I'm an adult now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I know better than to stand outside and burn things. Um, but as a teenager, absolutely. And it, yeah, that's that very much <laughs> maybe even a little older than a teenager too. This idea of reinvention is something that kind of foreshadows the rest of the book as well. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I really, really loved about quite early on in the book is the real sense of loss that Corey had over her friendship ending with Brie. I think it's a kind of grief that everyone can relate to. Everyone's had that friendship breakup, 
but it's never given the same weight and meaning as a relationship breakup. That was, it was really important to me that the big breakup of the book was Brie and Corey and not Corey and Ali. And that I think Corey says it at one point in time that she never thought Ali would be forever. It wasn't like she'd planned to stay on the island and marry him, but she had thought her and Brie were forever um, because of the nature of their friendship. And so it, it, she's so much more hurt by what Brie's done than by what Ali's done. Like Ali is almost incidental to what has happened. It, she's hurt that he's done this. It's like a horrible betrayal, but it's not, it wasn't as unexpected or as damaging as what Brie has done to her. As someone who's had massive sort of fallout breakups with friends, you do feel that, that sadness from that breakup just so intensely. And I don't think it's really replicated in fiction enough. So for you to make such a point of identifying it and kind of addressing it is something I really appreciated. And teenage me would have appreciated that so much. I think, I wonder if I would have gone as hard at that though, if the pandemic hadn't happened, because the pandemic, I think for a lot of people made it very clear which relationships were important and which or which relationships you thought were important and which relationships it turns out the other people didn't think were quite as important. Um, so I do wonder how much of, I wonder how hard I would have gone with it. I mean, I'll never know, of course. Um, and there was, it, I started writing it before the pandemic. It was during the editing that I kind of, that the pandemic happened. Um, but I wonder, I wonder if it would have been quite the same book had I not been at the time reeling from the realisation that kind of this is very personal as well but people I thought were great friends I had this these really solid relationships they just kind of vanished um from my life uh, through necessity I mean I think everyone in the world hunkered down but it was it was noticeable who stayed who made the effort to kind of go through the horror of zoom calls every couple of days or phone calls or check-in and who just didn't and so I think I think a lot of the bewilderment that Corey feels comes from that comes from this this horrifically unexpected thing happen and then that not being the end of the horrifically unexpected thing that it kept being like injurious in small ways all the way through so yeah I don't know but yeah I mean I'll never know maybe I would have always written it this hard because obviously I've had friendship breakups too and they do hurt and it's a different kind of way to boy breakups or girl breakups depending on who you're or people breakups depending on who you're dating and how you feel about stuff I think sometimes they can be so much worse I think so because there is no there is no ritual to to mourn a friendship we know the rituals to mourn a partner you get a haircut you eat junk food you turn to vodka you go out with your friends you you replace what you've lost temporarily of course um, and then maybe more permanently when you're a little more stable but when you lose a friend what do you do like how do you how do you heal from that how do you kind of Where's the catharsis? You just you're expected to carry on, and you can't you can't mourn it in the same way either. Like if you started crying because a song came on, and you're like, "Oh, this is me and my friend's song," but now we're not friends. People would think you were insane. They would. So I'm I'm glad that people who are maybe a lot younger and haven't really gone through that will be able to read this and see that it's okay to feel that way. I hope they do, but I also hope they don't feel quite like Corey does because some of their later actions are quite dangerous. We never said Corey was rational. (laughs) She's certainly not that. 
Do you have a sort of geographical location where you envision the island being? I do. As with many of my books, if not all of my books, they're somewhere between Scotland and Scandinavia. This obviously literally somewhere between Scotland and Norway. So I imagine it as a very, very north coastal island between the top of Scotland and kind of the middle of Norway. So really, really isolated then. Yeah, very isolated, like a couple of boats to get to like the mainland at least. Oh, wow. I'm happy to re-ask this question in our spoiler section, depending on if you feel you can answer this or not now. But why does Corey's mum not want her to leave the island? For the same reasons in the myth, she didn't want her to associate with the Olympians because there are a bunch of bad news. On the island, Corey isn't, she can't be seen by the other gods until (laughs) something happens. So she's safe. She's safe from them. She's safe in the way that if you know the myth of Persephone or one of the versions of the myth of Persephone, because there's a lot, there is a version where um, um, Persephone is quite kind of isolated and safe and everyone knows technically she exists, but no one really cares until Hades spots her and he's like... Who is this mega babe? She is beautiful. Why have I never seen her before? Zeus, talk to me about this kid. And then kind of, and everyone's like, oh yeah, Persephone. (laughs) Completely forgot about her. Yeah, it's Demeter's daughter. She lives in this field where Demeter won't let anyone near. Wild, I know. And I wanted to take that element of the myth. So it's, it's Corey isolated on an island and everyone's kind of forgotten maybe Demeter had a child until a moment. And then suddenly everyone's like, ah, (laughs) there she is. Gotcha. And the chapter names, they're all to do with sort of seeds and earth and growing and plants and stuff. They are. They're all gardening terms. They're all various gardening terms. And they were chosen very deliberately to, for that reason, and then to thematically go with what's happening in the chapter. So again, if you have any knowledge of gardening, you'll get a little more value from them than maybe other people, but they're not, you can read it without like an encyclopedic knowledge of, <laughs> of gardening. Some I knew and then the rest I just thought, well, there's a few I don't recognise, but it must be, it must go along with the same sort of theme. It does. It very much does. This is the point of the episode where if you haven't read the book, but now you really want to, you should stop listening, come back and finish the episode when you finish the book, as we're going to be asking questions that involve important plot points and the ending. So this is the thing I've been sort of dying to ask in terms of references. At the beginning of the book, uh, the teacher has used their headline in the newspaper comparing Brie to Hero. Mm -hmm. But I was also wondering if it was a sort of twist on the tale of Eurydice as well. A little bit, yes. When I originally pitched it to to my agent, it was going to be a kind of um, a mashup of Orpheus and Eurydice and Hades and Persephone. And then I went to see um, Hades Town while it was over um, on tour here at the National Theatre. Um, and I realised they'd done it and that Anais Mitchell had done it and done it way better than I ever could. So I was like, well, now you can't really kind of, um, <laughs> you can't really go down that route because the direct comparisons to Hades Town would be would be too much. And I could never kind of replicate that magic. So I was like, I will scale back all those references because they weren't so important. 
but um it's definitely there this and the reason Corey goes to the underworld um is very much an echo of Orpheus doing it too Hmm. but then I like that because in my head later canonically obviously Orpheus would go to when Persephone was Persephone Orpheus would go to get Eurydice um and it's Persephone who kind of says Hades I'll go on (laughs) Like, let them do it. So I quite like the idea of my headcanon for it is that she feels that way because she remembers doing it for Brie. Oh. Back back when, or back in the future past. It's difficult because I'm saying stor- stories that were way, way in the past, in the present. But my headcanon is her reason for convincing Hades to allow it when it is Orpheus is because she wants him to have the chance she had because he was brave enough to go. Mm. I'm glad that I'm glad I spotted that. You did. I always get a little bit smug when I <laughs> pick up on these references. Why did Zeus shock her with the lightning bolt? Was it a warning to her or Hades? It was a warning to Hades, and this is um, what I was avoiding saying in the last section. So it's not until she kisses Hades at the Thesmophoria that everyone realizes she's there. It's when she kisses him she draws the attention of all the gods. Um, and so it's after that when she starts to get curious. And no, it's a warning to Hades to not pursue this thing that he has already begun to pursue. Um, and it reflects the the mythology of when Hades goes to Zeus and says, I would like to marry um, this girl Corey. And Zeus is like, Demeter will never allow it. You need to back off. Um, but then he's like, although if you kidnap her, I can't really stop it. So it was kind of a callback to that point in the myth. It's It's a warning shot. I wasn't sure if it was either or. When she was first struck with the lightning bolt, I didn't twig that it was Zeus. But then it's mentioned, I think it's the, the fate, the, fu- the Furies mentioned it to her later. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, it's Zeus. Um, but it's not aimed at her, it's more aimed at Hades and it's a look what I'll do, look what I can do if you don't stop this nonsense. It makes more sense actually that it would be a warning to Hades. Thanks. <laughs> that was my thinking too. <laughs> I've honestly thought it might have been a warning to her, though. Like a don't, don't look, just go back to being not curious. I mean, I guess, but it would, yeah. But then she would have to know that Zeus was warning her. I suppose that works, yeah. No, in in my head, in my version, other interpreted versions will shortly be available from July the seventh. Um, yeah, in my version, it's it's he's warning Hades. Your version is much better. <laughs> thank you the significance of the gold lips i had a theory as to why that was but i'm just curious what your reasoning was i just thought it would be very aesthetically pleasing there was no like honestly no reason for it at all i just thought it would it would make a very beautiful image why, what's your theory? Because I might co-opt it if it's better than mine for the vibes theory. Because he's also, he's not just the god of the underworld. He's the god of like the hidden things in the earth, including like riches and treasure. Oh, that's so good. And I knew this as well. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I'm having that. <laughs> Maybe subconsciously. Possibly. Yeah, no, I, I wish. I, <laughs> I wish I'd been that clever thinking of it. No, it, it was just that I wanted him to be beautiful and that was and um, that was how he looked in my head i think he would be stunning well he's not the book says he's not he's not handsome at first but i think it's just because he scowls a lot 
And so he just looks moody and mean. So he gets hotter when he stops pulling faces. I can relate to that as well. <laughs> Why does Corey smell the same as the Furies? They're all made of the same godly material. And also because they were all girls who weren't really washing or paying attention to themselves. It's kind of a dual thing. So it's not it's not like hugely important um to the story. So they smell the same. Um she recognizes the smell because it's the smell of kind of nesting when she nests after what happens with Bree and Ali. Well, after after Bree's death when she takes to her room and um kind of doesn't shower and doesn't open windows and doesn't kind of change her bed sheets or anything and she she notices then she starts to smell kind of musty but she doesn't necessarily dislike it and when she goes to the furies she notices they smell the same and it's for the same reasons it's it's nesting but also underneath they are all made of the same stuff it's not human i didn't know if it was like her anger that was like causing you have a way better interpretations of of this than I do. And this is exactly what I was saying at the start. People go away and they take it and they see things in it that I, like, as the architect of this world, didn't see or didn't intend. And it's scary. It's scary that you know this and have thought about this a little more than I have in some ways. Now I feel silly. <laughs> I think I obsess about books way too much. Because I then, Depending on what you said, my next question was going to be, when Corey made the decision to be with Hades, would she have then smelled differently because she didn't have this anger that she didn't know how to deal with? But yeah, that was just a a slight theory I had. On page 130, Alecto is very protective of, of Persephone. And... She sort of makes a comment about Hades. He said to go, but I didn't want to leave you alone with him. Girls shouldn't leave girls alone with strange gods. And in all of Greek mythology, no truer words have ever been spoken. <laughs> it was. It was a diss on Zeus, and I don't regret it at all. I took a picture of that page and sent it to my co-host and kind of scribbled the rest of it out just to highlight that one bit. Just like a sentence <laughs> of like, lol. And she loved it. I mean, it is very true. <laughs> and it was very deliberate because, yeah, um, Hades is probably the only one canonically who doesn't frequently violate humans in some way. He still kidnaps Persephone. It's just in <laughs> a comparison. Does he, though? Because that's only one version of the myth. There are other versions of the myth where kind of she's a lot more willing to go with him because she doesn't like being on her mother's thumb. This is the beautiful thing about the Greek myth. And I say this hypocritically as someone who doesn't like my stories being, well, not doesn't like, but is kind of made anxious by my stories being interpreted in ways I haven't intended. Um, there are so many versions of each Greek myth because they're they'll pass down verbally for so long and it changes every time you get a different teller so yeah not every version is Hades the uh the bad kidnap guy in some versions he's kind of the knight in shining armor rescuing a girl who desperately wants to escape her overbearing mother even if he is bad kidnap guy it's it's less kidnapping (laughs) so if you put it into into simple if you put it into numbers I think he is the least worst god. (laughs) 
um, just in terms of terrible behaviour. Yeah, he's a he's he's almost a good egg. That I'm yet to find a stories where Aries sexually he's, violates yeah, a woman. Yeah, he's kind of. I mean, he, I'm sure he must at some point. He's, he sees his son. I'm yet to find it though. So anyone out there is welcome to to share stories with me about Aries being bad. But one thing I really, really loved about the book as well is page 135 and 136. You make references to Mm -hmm. threads and weaving and friendship one thing I'm absolutely obsessed with in Greek mythology and I did a whole podcast episode about this because I'm obsessed with it is weaving and fabric references in Greek mythology and Greek stories and how there's so many and how it's such a representation of women's power women's agency Mm. and women's voices so to see it in this was something that I personally really loved I don't know if anyone else will pick up on that the way I did but I loved it why did Hades want her to grow things in the underworld he he wants she wants to grow things in the underworld he wants to see what she can do ah that makes sense he's not He's not necessarily fixed on the idea of her doing anything at all. It's once he realises she can do it and more that she wants to do it, then he wants it for her. Like up until then, he's got no interest in changing the underworld. Like it's uh, it's functional and he's happy enough with that. It's her disliking the function of it that makes him open up to the idea that it could change and that maybe change wouldn't be such a bad thing. So it's not remotely something he wants. He just wants her. And then, therefore, whatever she wants becomes his want too. And it's that thing you do in a relationship where you become interested in things other people are interested in. Mm-hmm. And guess it's to impress her. I really loved how her emotions impacted things growing as well. I suspected it at the beginning with her anger and the cabbages. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So would any emotion that she had affect the thing that she was growing in your head? Not once she mastered her powers, No. What happens beforehand is anytime she feels extremely and she loses kind of her self-control for a second, this ability within her lashes out almost. So it's never, it's not just, and Hades notices it as well. Like he, he wants to see which emotions work and then eventually coming to the conclusion that it's not her emotions that are the thing that triggers it. It's the fact that something in her is holding her back and it's only when she experiences this loss of personal control for a second when she feels an emotion extremely that it's able to happen which is why he kind of provokes it and then tells her look you have to learn to do it yourself if that's what you want to do you have to figure it out like does does that make sense yes i read it slightly oh i i thought that different emotions affected the plants in different ways but that makes that makes sense that it would be lack of control and it's something that she needs to learn to do. I read the book really quickly. so <laughs> I might have missed a couple of details. After Corey judges the shade and uses her own sort of sense of right and wrong and justice, Megara is really, really unhappy with her decision. So why would she still want her to be one of them when she has a different sense of of justice. 
because it would tilt the power balance of the underworld away from Hades. If she was, if if Corey chose to align with the Furies instead, she would have all the power she has as the goddess Persephone, but it wouldn't be. It would be in kind of the remit of the the Furies, not Hades. So it would tilt the power of balance back in their favor, and they could theoretically, in their minds at least, take back what was taken from them by the Olympians. Whereas if she allies with Hades, they'd have done a Ken House chance. That makes sense as well. That's one thing I really couldn't figure out. I thought maybe they just liked her. They do just like her. Do you really think they'd just drop her for not doing exactly what they want? No, but they are interested in her power. Of course they are. I think Electo likes her more though. Electo, yeah, they're, they're, I wanted them to be like best friends. I wanted Electo to kind of act very much like a... Almost a Brie replacement. It does make me slightly sad that she probably wouldn't have a relationship with them anymore. I disagree. I think she does. She, they say it to each other at the end that they still will care for each other, but it doesn't mean they'll go easy on each other. So they're fundamentally, what the Furies want at the time is fundamentally not the choice that the Corey has made, but I don't think it would stop them being friends ultimately. I mean, these, we're talking about immortals. They have time to have endless wars. They can put aside their grudges for a couple of centuries and just hang out. I hope so. In my head, they definitely stay friends. It's awkward. But I think they have a let's not talk work <laughs> when we're having time together kind of vibes. But also I think Corey would maybe make life for the Furies a little easier mm. once she took up her position as Queen of the Underworld because she would know what meant stuff to them and she would want peace. So I don't think it would be the same world. I think it, I think the world would change. I think everyone would change because of it. If it's in your head, it's canon, definitely. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's true. I think so. <laughs> I don't know. Other authors have tried to do this uh, off-page retconning thing, and, and I have fundamentally disagreed with it. There's, uh, there's an author I'm thinking of that you might be thinking of as well. Probably. <laughs> yeah. How important was it for you for Corey to have that moment of closure with Brie. Very, because she would never have moved on from it. She had to have not necessarily forgiveness, but she had to have the closure of it. And I, I don't think in real life you often get it in that way. I think you do get closure where you kind of, you realise that people have left your life and maybe it was for the best, actually. You didn't feel like it at the time. But looking at who you've become without them means it was kind of necessary for them to stop being part of your life and so I think I think it happens for most people eventually anyway but Corey actually got the the kind of instant version of it where she got she got to say the things she'd wanted to say and she got the answers to the questions she was looking for um but then also found they didn't change anything and I think that's a key lesson to take away from it that sometimes people just shouldn't be in your life there's either you know, is it worth not getting the answer that you want but by asking the question or is it just worth accepting it for what it is? Did you ever consider leaving Brie in the underworld? No. <laughs> no. Um, it would have felt like a punishment to leave her there and it would have made Corey a different person because she had the power to make a difference. And, and also there are no villains in the story. There are no heroes either, but there are no villains. No one is the bad guy ultimately everyone's kind of actions people are just people 
they behave in human ways. Everyone, they do bad things, but the bad things aren't necessarily all that they are. Even Brie, who I think is the closest the book has to an actual antagonist, um, she's like, the reason she has for doing what she did to Corey is so, they're heartbreaking in their kind of silliness. But I don't, I don't think she's a villain. I don't think there are villains in this book. I think it is a book just about a lot of people who aren't necessarily always acting in each other's interests. But it balances in the end. And so, no, Brie, Brie could never have stayed in the underworld. It would have felt like a punishment. Do you think it would have been awkward when Brie returned to the underworld as an older person? No. Years would have passed. Corey would be so settled in what she was doing. The underworld would be a completely different place to the one that Brie knew. And also Brie's life would have moved on as well. Like She may have had an incredible career. She may have traveled the world. She may have got married. She may have got married multiple times. She might have had children. So the woman who eventually would go to the underworld would not be the same 17-year-old girl that Corey knew. And so I don't, I don't even know if they'd be interested in looking each other up at that point in time. And I think it would be kind of sad if they were like that because it would imply that neither of them had moved on from something that happened when they were teenagers. That's a nice way to look at it, actually. Suggests that they've both matured and moved on. Well, you would hope. I mean, like, ideally, Brie would go back to Earth and live another 70, 80 years. So if still after 70, 80 years, if they're still like, if they're still chasing this beef that happened when they were 17, they've neither of them have lived good lives in the interim some people are that petty <laughs> even i the queen of petty i'm not that petty like my grudges i give them a year and then i weed them not 70 then no god no who has time for that <laughs> do you think that it's quite important to make this or your story one where it's somebody finding their place and making a choice rather than the most well-known version of Persephone, which is the version of her being kidnapped and have no choice. Yes, because stories where things just happen to people aren't very exciting. Like No one particularly wants to read about a series of events that occurred to someone. People like the idea of having agency and choices in their lives. It would have been boring to write a story which is just about a girl reacting to a lot of stuff that happened to her. Um, it's much more exciting when she is the person making things happen. I think you've already answered this, but I'm going to ask for a flat out yes or no answer. Is Corey's mom actually Demeter? Yep. I figured that she probably was. Corey's dad isn't Corey's dad either. In my head, well, in my head, um, in my head canon is, is that um, Demeter's already pregnant when she goes to the island for her um, couple of years of fun. And finds a nice hapless lightkeeper and snares him and then leaves her child there to be raised by him. He was a really good dad to her, though. He was a really good dad. You don't need to be blood related to someone to be a good parent. Is this then why Corey didn't like the water? Because the other god type characters don't like the tap water. Yes, because they can taste the lethe in it. So they and they know what it is. Although she obviously doesn't know what it is, but she can still taste it and doesn't like it. So no one on the island obviously knows they're being fed like forgetfulness juice on the regular because otherwise they would realise a lot of weird stuff happened kind of locally. They they would see a lot more than 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 they ought to. But she 
she can't kind of like and it's kind of it's seeded in where like Bree is like oh I saw a nymph and then Corey's like you saw the nymph and Bree's like what what nymph <laughs> I've never seen a nymph and the thing with the seal as well and the reason Corey doesn't see them isn't because she's been drinking the water but because they are avoiding her on her mother's orders so she is not allowed to see stuff her father um knows enough about who her mother is to get cross when she wants to go to the temple of Artemis and to warn her about playing in the woods in case she sees something that might kind of displease her mother. Like he knows who her mother is. And I think he suspects she's probably not her real father, but it doesn't matter to him and it doesn't matter to her. And it doesn't matter to Mary either. They're a family. Mary is amazing. She, she is very cool. She's one of my favorite characters I've written. Just this super chill, like mum with an like stepmom with an awesome job who's just very you know living her best life and she gets Corey as well i think she can understand better than maybe Corey's father is what it is like to be a teenage girl mm. so she is bringing that experience to the table whereas Corey's father is pure parenting and also has no experience of being a teenage girl is that also why the sleeping pills don't work on her yeah if she'd swallowed the herb that Hermes gave her, would she have forgotten? Not completely. More so than the water of the lethe. Although it would work on her. It's just the fact she can taste it means she doesn't like to drink it. But yes, it would have. How quickly do you think Ali moved on from Bree? Well, we know he did within months because like, <laughs> at the end of the book, when Corey goes back, um, he's got another girlfriend already. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just wondering how quick it was. Pretty quick, yeah. He's not. I think he'd maybe give it like a month, and then be like, eh. <laughs> "Well, <laughs> guess that's that." I mean, he's a teenage boy. Like, he's not taking it seriously. They're not people who are looking for forever relationships. No. No. And also, um. He liked the idea of being with Brie because it felt a bit naughty. But for this, it would have eventually, the novelty would have worn off with her too. And so it's very likely had she not died, he would have cheated on her as well. Hopefully when she comes back, when she went back to work, she found a nice boy who appreciated her. I don't, yeah, I don't think she'd stay on the island. I think she'd uh, take up her parents' offer of going to the mainland and trying to form a life there. And I think that would be much better for her. Because she's someone who wants, Corey wants a small world to rule, which is what she had with her garden and Brie and Ali. And so, which is why the underworld will suit her. But it would, Brie is someone who needs more, much, much more. I have a few questions that are not completely book related, but I still want to ask you before we say goodbye. What are your future plans for future books or other projects? I am working on three things right now, none of which I'm willing to talk about because I'm superstitious about projects until I've finished at least um, the full first draft of them. And I have finished one of them and I'm editing it and I'm almost finished a second one, but not really with the first. Um, yeah, I don't like to talk about them because it makes them real when you do. And so I'm afraid I cannot answer that question in a meaningful <laughs> or good way. How can you work on three things at once? Um, I like variety. 
also they were all very different projects and it's not like a it's not like I do it like school lesson style where I do an hour on one and then an hour on the other and then take a lunch break and then do a double session on one in the afternoon like maybe I spend two three days working on one then take a break for a day then move on to another one for a couple of days so it's not yeah it also helps with editing them to kind of come from a different place my head isn't then so in that book that I can't see what needs to be fixed I like asking questions like that in case there are any aspiring writers out there that listen and they can pick up things from the authors that we have on would you ever consider doing something similar with another myth or fairy tale yes is that something you can't talk about (laughs) um it's something i haven't solidified in my own head yet okay but yeah now i've got a taste for this kind of thing like a tiger with human blood (laughs) now i've now i know the flavor i want to do it again but it's picking it's picking the right one and also not doing it for the sake of doing it. So just because I did what I think is quite a good job with Hades and Persephone doesn't mean I could necessarily replicate that with with another myth. Um, and so I don't want to, and I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to do it badly. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's waiting. Well, hopefully that's something we'll have to look forward to from <laughs> you in the future. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. If a Greek god was going to dress up in disguise and kiss you at a festival, who do you think you would prefer? Well, before <laughs> before this podcast, Hades, absolutely. But now you've put it out that Ares is also <laughs> not that problematic. Maybe I wouldn't be mad if he tried to kiss me. Like, Hades for sure. But yeah, now. Like maybe Her- Hermes is bad though. I hate that. I hate that he's a little bit bad because he's so super cute and fun he's so bad he's so bad he has a section on wikipedia that has victims in the title oh my god yeah okay so sweet as funny as i think he is sweet fun loving hermes is i know right loves loves to sexually violate women he's worse than you would think god i mean <laughs> no it, it's the greek gods or any of them worse than i could think yeah, um, if it's on wikipedia you know it's true damn a whole victim section mm. hermes you bad boy um okay so i'll, speak- I'll, I'll screenshot it and send it to you on instagram <laughs> so you can say i will stick with hades or now aries who i'm suddenly quite into you know uh, you know aries is going to be ripped as well mm-hmm yeah, I am finding the section. Here we go. Lovers, oh, victims, God. and children. <laughs> Lovers, victims, and children. Yep. So Amazing. I Thanks. am. I have literally just sent that to you. So you'll be able to see. Something to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hades or Aries, either. Mm. No one else. Especially not Zeus. No. Actually, oh, I dislike Apollo more than I dislike Zeus. But I think that might be because of Laura Olympus. I think Laura Olympus might have <laughs> got into my head a bit about Apollo. See, I have a soft spot for Apollo and I don't know why. I think because in my past I have liked boys with issues. So I think Apollo <laughs> speaks to that teenage, that teenage girl who still who collected boys with issues like they were Pokemon. Interesting. But, yeah. Yeah, no, Laura Olympus has really kind of turned me right off Apollo. 
Laura Olympus is amazing though. I love it. I think I'll say I think maybe Laura Olympus is why I have such a soft spot for Hermes because he's such a lovely himbo in it. But she makes good choices and takes out a lot of the you know, the incest and the and the incest. She does. I mean, is it incest if it's gods though? Because they're not made in the same way that humans are. So I think I I feel like with gods it's weird to apply this very human logic to it. Like it's only in the in the entire animal kingdom, it's only really humans that have this incest ick. Other animals are like, well, I guess. It's us that has the co- kind of co-sanguinity and thing, which I think is right, by the way. I'm not an advocate for incest at all. But Good. I do feel like we are applying human logic to an inhuman issue. And that muddies the water somewhat. Maybe. So I don't feel like I don't feel like Demeter and and Hera and um Zeus are brother and sister in the way that I am brother and sister with my brother. Like I think they're made out of different things. It makes it slightly less icky. It definitely makes it slightly less icky when you say it like that. I mean, I think if people can had babies born like Zeus had a baby born out of his head so clearly their roots to kind of procreation differ somewhat from the traditional earthbound procreation roots and Athena and um, not Athena Aphrodite was born out of sea foam and a penis yeah so I feel like I feel like the interesting thing is it's only an issue if you imagine them being human and it all being a bit human. If you kind of take out the humanness of it and just imagine them as gods made of something different, icker in their veins instead of blood, it's not... Yeah, the the kind of sorority and the fraternity of it is a little bit less weird, maybe. I think I'm going to start looking at it your way in future. I mean, it doesn't give me the ick when it gives me the ick if I think about flowers in the attic, but the Greek gods don't give me the same ick because... I don't. It doesn't feel the same. Is this a bad time to say that Flowers in the Attic is one of my favourite books? Oh, no, I love it. I think it's brilliant. It was passed around at my school, at my senior school, like under the desk. Like we were all like completely obsessed with it. I think there is a generation of people who are slightly messed up because of Flowers in the Attic. I don't know anyone else who likes Flowers in the Attic, so I'm I'm glad that. I know loads of people, I'll introduce you, <laughs> like, there's a certain generation of people who, like, read it as teenagers, usually given to them in school. Someone got it from an older sister and it was passed around because we knew deep down we probably shouldn't be reading it, but it was so exciting and just gross. But yeah, I think, yeah, definite ick, though. <laughs> but I don't think it's, I don't think the Greek gods are the same as Chris and Kathy in the attic. I don't think that's any of their comparative. No. No, when you put it when you put it into those terms, it's, it's definitely less icky. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about the book. I had the best time with you. Thank you. I've had a really nice time too. Good. And for everyone, we hope that you've enjoyed the book, and we hope that you enjoyed the whole box that that Charlie has created. So, thank you. Lauren, I have a question for you. Which Olympian would you want to kiss like that?
All of them. Uh, no. Oh, I don't know because my really, really problematic fave is Apollo, and I don't know if if kissing him turn into a tree like that or would, would go so it's well probably... for me. But I also. I don't know. Some of us lovers died, but maybe Artemis. In my head, Artemis is really hot, and but maybe she might not I'm going men, back to but, the tree comment. Maybe that was only down if you didn't it. want so, to kiss him. If you wanted to kiss him, he probably didn't turn you into anything. But he didn't turn her into a tree. Her dad turned her I into. Don't a know. Tree I'm thinking of God's behaving badly, and the opening scene is someone's been turned know. into a tree because they didn't want to shag Apollo. See, I would not have that problem because, as I said, Apollo is my ultimate problematic He's fave. just a fuckboy. I don't know. He reminds me of... He's less of a fuckboy than Zeus, but he's a fuckboy. No, boy. I don't see him he's like that. less fussy I see him than as... Zeus, I would say. <laughs> no, I think he's just misunderstood. Like all of and, the boys in the band. You know, emotional. <laughs> like all of those boys... That teenage me, yeah, like those boys that teenage me used to fancy, be just like, oh, so you misunderstood. Know, My parents don't get me. Misunderstood. Fringe flick. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Oh well. Exactly. Oh, you know, you know, Apollo would would have that fringe flick down. Okay. What uh, I think. Okay, if you want to mock my choice, Aries, who would you pick? Maybe. Or or Eros. Eros or. Aries is slightly less pro- problematic than. Well, I haven't found anything where he's too problematic. I'm sure someone listening would be like, "No, no, no." He's done this. Don't, don't do it. Don't, don't shatter. He's quite brawny. Oh, he's not quite pretty. Our perfection that is no, Aries like pretty, for us. So maybe Eros, but. Or, yeah, I think when, when I was well, reading Jennifer Sage like Ariadne, I imagined Dionysus to look like a young Sean Mendes. Well, not a young Sean Mendes. Sean Mendes is young. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like a young. No. How much young could you? Sean Mendes is like a be. younger person, like Sean Mendes, who's like he's like what twenty two. That's not what I said, but that's what I meant. <laughs> Don't put words in my mouth. Said. He's like twenty two, but I've okay. seen those Calvin Klein ads or Noah Centineo. He's like what twenty four. Perfect. I mean, they That's don't age, so they could be. Any, they could really be two hundred odd or two thousand, or you know, timeless. But yeah, are so you telling me he's not attractive? Closest to Shawn Mendes because <laughs> he's under the age of fifty. <laughs> mm, not my type. <laughs> <laughs> Get me a silver fox any day. Shall we see people again next month for our August's orange paper box? Okay. You know what? I might have a date in the diary. Hold on to that thought. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Follow us on Instagram at Demythifying the Podcast for more Olympus-based content. If you like what we're doing, please rate us and subscribe. As guess what? You can now review on Spotify too. And also tell all your friends. You can listen to episodes straight on our website, www.demythpod.co.uk. And don't forget to tell all your friends that you think we're hilarious. See you next time.